times a week, someone is, is speaking forth God's word. That's the gift of prophecy. Talking to people about what God has said. But the people were turning away from the message of the prophets. They were teaching false things. They were allowing false things. And they were declaring a peace when there is no peace. Now you remember last week we said, no God, how's it go? No peace. If you have no God, you have no peace. It don't matter how many times people shout, peace, peace. There is no peace without God. Paul would write to us about that, right? That the only way for us to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ, our Savior, right? He's the one who, who grants us peace. Prior to Jesus Christ, we are at enmity with God, right? You've heard that phrase? We are at war with God. It's, it's war with God until we surrender to Jesus Christ. And so, and that's what they were going on. This week, we're going to talk about their, the, they were telling lies. They were, gravitating to the to the lie and not to the truth and it's funny because if you look at jeremiah if you guys work your way through the book of jeremiah and you just consider how our world is today most of these things are going to line up right the idea of trading didn't didn't jesus say and paul said it as well there would come a day when when men won't want the truth they'll believe the lie and so this is what we're looking at today in Jeremiah chapter 9. Holding on to lies and rejecting the truth. So in Jeremiah 9, 1, Jeremiah called the weeping prophet for a reason. He says, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. So long before the people are ever slain, Jeremiah, knowing that that is coming, is weeping over the place that they're at. Jeremiah, maybe, I'm sure Jeremiah is frustrated. In fact, we'll see some of Jeremiah's frustration as we continue through the book. Jeremiah's going to quit one day. He's going to throw, pick up his ball and go home, right? He's like, that's it, I'm done. Nobody ever listens, I quit. But I don't know how long he quits for. On In scripture, it's a verse. <laughs> the next verse is like, I couldn't quit. I tried to quit. It didn't work out. But here we see the emotion, right? Jeremiah weeping over his people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place. So now he's wishing he had a cabin to run to. So on one hand, he's like weeping over the people. And on the other hand, he's like, man, I wish I had a cabin that I could get away from all these yahoos, uh, that I might leave my people and go away from them. And why does he want to go away? They are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men, they bend their tongue like a bow. The idea is like they're like archers, only instead of shooting arrows, they're shooting lies. They're, they're in a rush to, to fling their lies. Falsehood and not truth is sown and has grown strong in the land. For they, have pro, for they proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me declares the Lord. Now, he's going to begin here in verse 3 to say, here's the issues. They have an absence of truth. They're treacherous men. But the big deal is they don't know me. And in the next verses, he's going to, he's going to uh, instill that concept a little deeper. Like, not only do they not know me, they refuse to know me. There's a difference, right? In one sense, you could say, well, they don't know you. Maybe they never met you. Maybe they don't understand. But... It's different when you say they refuse to know me. That's not, there's no longer the case of, the, you know, well, I'm sorry, we, I never bumped into God in my journeys. 
God's going to say, no, it's not that you won't know me, it's that you refuse to know me. So they're holding on and proceeding from, listen to what it says there at the end of verse 3, for they proceed from evil to evil. Uh, the Lord would say, you know, and people have such a hard time grasping this idea because we, we like to hold on to the concept that there's good in people. Well, there's good in us. Well, I'm good. I'm not like them other people. Them, there's some people out there that are wicked, but not me. But uh, Jeremiah would say the heart is desperately evil, desperately wicked. That's pretty hard, right? It's desperate. Jesus would say that this, the, the, the Pharisees would come to him and say, hey, you know, your disciples are going to become evil because they're not washing their hands. And you know, if you eat with unwashed hands, what's dirty in the world gets inside of you. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, the dirt don't get in you from unwashed hands. The dirt was in you already. And if you don't deal with the wickedness inside of you, it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Wickedness, lies, all that stuff springs up from within us. How then do we deal with it? By washing our hands? By painting, what, what did the Pharisees do? They painted the tomb. So what did Jesus call it? Whitewashed tomb full of what? Dead man's bones. Oh, it's, you can make the tomb look pretty, but it's still a tomb, right? So how do we change it? How do we affect it? Well, the Bible would tell us that we, you and I, were once dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead men's bones. But Jesus Christ made us what? Alive. So it's Jesus that makes us, he's the one who purges the inside. So we don't have to be afraid. A Pharisee would be afraid that if he bumped against a sinner, that sin would get into him. No, that's not how the sin got into you, brother. The sin got into you because it was always there. You just needed occasion for it to come to fruition. But it's always been there. It's always been a part. And so this is what <coughs> Jeremiah is declaring. They go from evil to evil. That's what they want. First 11 chapters of Genesis, guys, is all about the failure and fall of man. It begins with the fall of Adam, right? Adam falls. And then in Genesis 6, you see the corruption of man. The corruption, man's corrupted by what? A wicked influence of the devil. Fallen angels, Genesis chapter 6. And not only is man corrupted and fallen, by the time he gets to chapters 10 and 11, he's rebellious against God. First 11 chapters just are the downward spiral, just like the first three chapters of, of Romans. You know, it's showing the downward spiral of man. But the point of the downward spiral is we were dead, but God has made us alive. So the answer is turning toward the Lord, but they don't want to know God, right? They, they just want evil. They're moving from evil to evil. Look at verse 4. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother, for every brother's a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about like a slanderer. That doesn't describe our world. Have you ever been the, the part of the, the tale of the gossiper's tongue? Has that ever been about you? I'll, I'll make a promise to you. If anyone has ever gossiped to you, then they have gossiped about you. This is the rule. 
If anyone has ever gossiped to you, anybody ever been gossiped to before? It should be all of us, right? (laughs) Yeah, me too, sis. So if anybody has gossiped to you, then they have gossiped about you. They are slanderers. They tell, they tell stories. The stories maybe that maybe in their heart, maybe their heart is not filled with wickedness behind what they say, but it doesn't change the fact that wickedness is what's coming out of their mouth. They're spewing slander. Everyone deceives his neighbor. One of the first things I told Jace when Jason came on staff, and well, I told him a lot of things in the BA. I told him that everybody's going to hate you. Uh, you're going to lose all your friends. I'm, I'm not the guy you want to come to for the pep talk for ministry. <laughs> Here's what happens when you do ministry. But then the other thing I told him, he was doing the benevolent stuff, you know. So when people would come to Jason and they would, you know, say, hey, I, I can't pay my electric bill or I can't pay my rent. Or, and they, we'd go start the process for whether or not we would be able to help him from the church. And my first rule of benevolence is everybody lies. All lies. Might be a couple of little mustard seeds of truth in them stories somewhere, but it's it's all lies. And after a few years of it, it's hard to want to help nobody because they don't never stop coming. But you just grow weary of the lies. Like, come, just somebody come tell me the truth. You know, I got a game on my phone and spent all my money, and now I can't pay the rent. That'd be so refreshing. Instead of, you know, whatever story, whatever stories you end up with, you know, but this is what he's saying in verse five. Everyone deceives his neighbor. Everyone's lying. No one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. How quick does a lie spring out of your mouth? But I don't, I don't have to think about it. I got to try to catch it when it's halfway out. Man, that was fast. That was fast. When I was a teenager, Lord have mercy on my soul. I'm not sure I was acquainted with truth at all. Because lying was easy. And mom and dad want to believe it. So that makes them prime targets. Right? And now now when my kids get together and start telling the stories, I just say, stop. Just stop. Don't, I don't want to know. Don't tell me the stories no more. Don't tell, where was I when all this was going on? I was apparently I was sleeping. So they they taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves committing iniquity. So the idea they weary themselves is they're working hard at sinning. Like, man, I just want to do wrong. I just want to do wrong. I've never had to teach anyone how to do wrong. Wrong is already there. We got to teach how to do right, not how to do wrong. Yeah, my, all of them, we just we just had, uh, Sierra was over with her baby today, and we're looking, oogling at the baby. Oh, babies are so cute, right? But eventually, while you're holding them, they puke on you, or they poop on you, or they do something. And it only gets, it only gets worse from there, right? So they're, <coughs> the idea, right, that, hey, this is, we don't have to teach them to do wrong. I think my son was like one and a half years old, maybe, maybe he's two, I don't know, Kathy know better, but how many times I would say, no, no, don't touch that, don't touch that, and he'd look at me, and then he'd smile, 
while his hand was reaching out to touch it again. Nobody else had that experience? They wear themselves out committing iniquity. This was the people, the children of Israel. This is where, even though they had grown from, from being a child, and even though God had told them right from wrong, they're still acting like that child that hasn't been taught uh, right from wrong. So they're wearing themselves out. They weary themselves with iniquity. Uh, heaping oppression upon oppression, deceit upon deceit. Look at the phrase. They refuse to know me. Not only do they not know me, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. God had revealed himself to the children of Israel in a lot of ways. When we, when we read the book of Exodus, we're doing a, a study through 1 Corinthians at my house Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. And uh, this morning we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which tells us about all the children of Israel traveling in the wilderness and how they're... Uh, their lives were illustrations for us, examples for us to learn from. And uh, so we were talking about God giving the law. We need to understand that when God gave the law, you know, the Ten Commandments were spoken by God to the people. That Mount Sinai erupted in lightning and thunder and smoke and darkness. And God said, "Don't nobody go close to Mount Sinai because... God, enough of God's presence was there. If you got too close, it, his holiness would kill your unholiness. You'd die. So God said, no, don't let him touch the mountain. If, even if, if an animal is trying to touch a mountain, shoot it. Don't let it touch a mountain. So God's speaking to the people, the Ten Commandments, from the voice of God. And God's telling the people, hey, you guys are all going to be my priests. We're going to be a, a nation of priests. And then after God finished the Ten Commandments, you know what the people said? It's too much. Moses, you go talk to God. This is too much for us. That's, you don't want to know me. Oh, my friend's going to come talk to you, and then he'll tell us what you said. So Moses went up on the mountain. You guys know the story. Moses went up on the mountain. How long was he gone? 40 days. And the people, now I don't know how long they waited. I'm telling you right now, it was not 40 days they waited. But at some point, they waited a period of time and they said, we don't know what happened to Moses if he's coming back. Now, while they're talking to Aaron, there's the mountain. Lightning. Smoke. Fire. Right? You get it. Moses is up there talking to God. I don't know what happened to Moses. We better do something down here. So they collected all their gold and jewelry, right? You remember the story. And they made a golden calf. And they began to say, this golden calf is Yahweh. Look at the text. This is Yahweh who brought us out of Egypt. And then God said to Moses, hey, those guys down there are already screwed up. So maybe I should start over. Moses comes down the mountain, right? Breaks the Ten Commandments. We know the story. He stands before the people, all the people who seen the, heard the voice of God, seen God speak to them the Ten Commandments, the pillar of fire that separated the armies of Pharaoh from them. Right? You remember the cloud that's been over them, the 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 power of God that parted the Red Sea. Right? Everybody remember all the stuff. 
Moses walked down before the people and said, who is on the Lord's side? You remember who came forward? Levi. One tribe. Leap, one tribe? One twelfth of all the people? And what, what became of Levi? What did they become? They became the priests. The people weren't the priests anymore. Now Levi was a priest. Why? Because they chose to do what? Be on God's side. Now, it didn't mean, were they perfect after that? Was there never a bad Levite? No. Because people are still people. But at least the, they had chose to know God, right? We want to know God. Here the Lord saying of Judah, now, all these years later, and all the things God's done for them, and the fact that he just delivered them, you know, a hundred years earlier from somebody. Now, Jeremiah comes on the scene and says, judgment's coming again. And from the beginning to the time of judgment, it's roughly 40 years. So 40 years of Jeremiah's life, he's telling them judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. And the people are saying, peace, 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 no judgment. It will be fine. And so Jeremiah says, they refuse to know. They, they don't want to know the Lord. If God stood before them and said, choose today who you will serve, it wouldn't have been any different than it was that day out of Sinai. Who is on the Lord's side? Their actions were speaking far louder than their words. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine and test them. Now, here's a, I don't know if you guys write in your Bible. I write all over mine. But here's one of the things you want to recognize about this phrase. You don't refine something that you're finished with. You know what I mean? If the Lord had said, you know what? You guys, you yahoos, I'm done. Why refine it? Just burn it up in the fire, right? But that's not what he says. He says, I'm going to refine you. I'm going to purify you. God was working. Even the exile was God working in their life to bring them to an understanding about who he was. Behold, I will refine them and test them. For what else can I do? What? He's not going to give up. The Lord's not going to give up because of my people. Their tongue's a deadly arrow. Speaks deceitfully. And with his mouth, <clears throat> each speaks peace to his neighbor. But in his heart, he plans to ambush him. Yeah, you know the guy. Oh, no, I'm not mad at you anymore. And then that night, he, he uh, you know, eggs your car or takes a key to the side of it and scratches his name in it. You know, Joey was here or whatever. You know, with your mouth you say peace, but with your actions you're ambushing one another. And this was the attitude that the, that the people had. And God said, look, I'm, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to refine you. So how do you refine something? You turn up the heat. And that's what he did. Now, everybody's happy about refinement who is getting the gold. Except for the gold. Gold's not happy about it. Right? How do you refine gold? You turn up the heat. Scrape off the dross on the top. Yeah, the, the gold's unhappy. But the Lord says, look, you guys matter to me. So you only refine what you haven't given up on. God's going to refine them. <clears throat> and then Jeremiah cries out, I will take up weeping and wailing for the mountains and lamentation for the pastures of the wilderness because they are laid waste so that no one passes through. And the lowing of cattle is not heard. He, he says, I'm going to weep over 
the whole city, because right now it's full of life, but after the exile, there's not going to be anything here anymore. All this life is all going to be gone. The birds of the air, the beasts will have fled. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a lair of jackals. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. So this is what's going to happen. The city is going to be totally devastated. Now when we talk about the devastation of Jerusalem, we also need to understand it didn't have to be like that. Even leading up to <coughs> the first conquest, the second, there's going to be three conquests of Jerusalem. And each time, the, the first time the temple's not destroyed, you know, not, there's not a whole lot of loss of life. And if the people will just surrender, that had been the end. But they rebelled and there was a second invasion. In the second invasion, a few more people died. Temple still not destroyed. And if they'd have surrendered, that had been the end of it. But there was a third rebellion. And at the third rebellion, Nebuchadnezzar said, you guys, forget it. So he tore it all down. He didn't leave one rock upon another. They wiped it all out. Tore it all down. And all the while that's going on, Jeremiah is saying it doesn't have to be this way. But God knows the heart of the people is in such rebellion that they won't stop. You ever had, you ever known somebody like that? No matter how things work, they still won't stop. They won't quit. They won't turn from whatever their deal is. I had a guy in my office a couple of years ago who is a hardcore crackhead. That's what I call him, but it's not really crack. It's, it's meth. But he, he sat there and he said, I wish I could love Jesus more than meth, but I can't. And his life is wrecked, like totally wrecked. No, he had nothing, nothing. Yet all he'll spend his time doing is trying to get another fix. And if he clamors his way a little bit out of the pit, it's just to get far enough so he can get some more and fall right back in it again. And that's how the Lord is describing his people. Your rebellion is so hard, all of this is going to be destroyed. Not because it has to be. But that's what you're going to do. God knows. God already knows where their heart is, where their, where their attitudes are at. God says, look, this is all coming down. It's all going to be wiped out. It will be totally devastated. He says in verse 12, so who is the man who has understanding? <clears throat> to whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and, and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? Why is all this happening? Why is all of these things going on? He's going to answer the question. The Lord says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them, they have not obeyed my voice and walked in accord with it. Listen. They have followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals. So there's several things he lays out here. He starts with this idea that they have forsaken the law. Now, maybe you don't remember, in Exodus 19, God talks to the people and he says, 
You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Exodus 19, verse 4. How I bore you on eagles' wings, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You'll all be my priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people, set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded them, and the people answered together, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. What do we call that? Us covenant, right? The closest thing to that we have today is marriage, right? We stand before God and the people and we make a promise. Usually that promise is to, you know, be together till death do us part, right? You and me till the wheels fall off and beyond. We're going to figure this thing out no matter what. How good are we at keeping our promises? Uh, Not so good, right? Neither were they. So the first thing God says, you've forsaken the law. You broke the covenant. You said you would follow me and that's not what you're doing. And how much of the earth belongs to God? All of it, yeah. So does he have the right to kick you out of the land? He's the, he's the landlord. You're living in his house. If he says, eh, that's it, you've got to move out of the land full of milk and honey to someplace else. You don't get to stay here no more. And that's what God's doing with the children of Israel. The second thing, they were following their hearts. The one in Proverbs twenty eight twenty six it says this, the one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. The ESV says the one who trusts in his own mind. NET, NK, uh, New King James, King James, I'll say, who trusts in his heart. The seat of emotions, what he's talking about. Sometimes that's really the word is bowels, but nobody likes that. Right? Dude, we, I don't. I don't follow my bowels. The older you get, the more you do. (laughs) But the idea is, look, the seed of emotion. Where's the seed of emotion? The seed of emotion is, for us, for the most part, described as the heart, right? The, The heart. The one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. The one who walks in wisdom will escape. Has your heart ever lied to you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. But what does the world shout from the top of the rooftops? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. It it knows what it wants. Yeah, but it ain't going to be good. The Bible says, don't follow your heart. Walk in wisdom. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 both say the same thing. There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way to death. Yeah. Can't, we can't trust our heart. What is it that God says you're, th- these people were doing? They're all following their heart. Where was their heart leading them? After other lords. Baal is the word for Lord. Baal. They were following other lords. There were lots of Baals. Baal of Peor. Baal. Every other town is named Baal something. The point is that they were following their heart to other gods, other systems, other ways, 
and they were rejecting the God who had delivered them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with wormwood, bitter food. I will feed them with wormwood, and I will give them poisonous water, gall. I will feed them with wormwood and gall. The, the idea of poisonous water, you remember when the children of Israel came to Marah, they tried to drink the water, and the water was poison, was bitter water. And so they threw the wood in, the acacia. They threw acacia wood and it cleansed the water. The water turned from bitter to better. What was, what did they make that cross out of? Oh, funny how that is. Probably doesn't mean anything though. They put the wood in the water and it cleansed the bitterness. Here he says, look, I'm going to, the people, they're bitter people. So I'm going to feed them bitter food, warm wood. I'm going to feed them bitter water, gall, things that deaden your senses. What, what, is the, what does Paul say? The Paul says that when people continue to suppress the truth, that God says he will give them over to what? Yeah, he give them over to a debased mind. In other words, your conscience gets seared. You don't taste things right anymore. You don't. You're not, you're not recognizing the things correctly around you. And so he gave them up to a debased mind to do the things which men ought not to do. This is what the Lord is telling them. I will scatter them among the nations. Neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. So the Lord says, I'm going to give them bitter food and drink. I'm going to banish them from the land. So they're going out of the promised land. And the blade is going to follow them. The blade, a symbol of judgment. Wherever they go, people are not going to like them. That's pretty accurate for history, right? Did the blade follow the children of Israel wherever they went? Even though they were scattered in the nations? The Lord said, uh, this is what's going to happen. These are the things that are going to take place. So what will that affect? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the morning, uh, for the morning women to come. These are professional mourners. You need to get the professional mourners here because <clears throat> somebody needs to start crying over your condition. <clears throat> so he says, get the morning women to come, send the skillful women, let them make haste and raise a wailing over us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids flow with water. See, the people couldn't even mourn over their sin. They didn't care. So God's saying, you need to hire mourners because nobody's crying over this. Nobody's weeping over their sin. Well, one of the things that's kind of unique about David, right? All the time when David messed up, it seems like he was weeping all the time. You know, the kid who killed Goliath. The guy who slayed his ten thousands. You remember? But he's crying all the time. He at least never lost the ability to mourn over his sin, but the people had lost their ability to mourn over the sin. So God says, you need to hire professional mourners because somebody should be crying about this. Somebody should be weeping over this. In fact, when they come, you need to have them teach your children. Here's what they should be singing. How we are ruined, we are ashamed because we have left the land, because we have cast down our dwellings. But instead, what were the people saying? Peace, peace. When there is no peace. Ah, it's okay. 
It's okay. It's still the lies we tell ourselves when we want to wallow in sin. Oh, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. He will. If you learn to weep over your sin, be like David, repent, confess. Yeah, God will forgive. But if you just take it light, like it's no big deal, that's what they were doing. God might say to us, you need to hire a mourner to mourn over your sin because you're not mourning over it. They should weep over what's gone on. Hear, O women, he says, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters to lament and each to her neighbor a dirge. Teach your kids so that they can start singing this funeral dirge, 40-year funeral dirge. Similar, because when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, you remember how long they wandered before they got to go back into the land? 40 years. Generation, right? Generation. Teach them to mourn over their sin, but they did not. And then in verse 21, you have, as far as I know, I don't know if it's the only place, but it's it's one place where the uh, Grim Reaper is in the Bible. For death has come up into our windows. It has entered our palaces, cutting off the children from the streets and the young men from the squares. That's exactly the picture of God's painting. The grim reapers crawled in the window. And he's going to slaughter everybody. But you are not mourning over your sin. You're not mourning over your position. And so the prophet can see this coming, but the people deny it's coming. No, that's not going to happen. No, there's no judgment over that. Don't worry about it. Everything's okay. It's always been like this. There's always been crazy people who stand up and say, the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. Be careful. And they're always wrong. Yep. That's not what the Bible says. They're not always wrong. But the people always have uh, are hard of hearing, right? They can't hear what he's saying. Speak thus, declares the Lord. The dead bodies of men shall fall like dung upon the open field, like sheaves after the reaper, and no one will gather them. So the grim reaper is come. There will be a slaughter. And nobody's going to pick it up. Nobody's going to clean it up. They're just going to leave the bodies laying in the fields. When Nebuchadnezzar drives away, when he destroys the city the last time, he just drives away. There's not enough people left to clean up the mess. In fact, the few who are left run to Egypt in opposition to what God's word was declared through Jeremiah the prophet. And in Egypt, they all died. The only ones who survived were the ones who were captured and taken to Babylon. Everybody else, the Grim Reaper comes through their window. The Grim Reaper has come upon them. And it is going to to take them. Now he goes on and says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the mighty man boast in his might, not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord 
who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So still God's revealing himself to the people. He says there's a lot of things people glory in. But don't glory in your wisdom. Don't glory in your might. And don't glory in your riches. Those are three things God says this is not how you keep score. The strongest guy doesn't win. The richest guy doesn't win. And the smartest guy doesn't win. This is not the way to keep score. How do you keep score? The guy who wins is the guy who does what? Knows God. He knows the Lord. To know God and understand him. And then he tells us what it is we're supposed to know and understand. That he is a God of steadfast love. Chesed. The Hebrew word that's the closest uh, word for it would be the Greek word agape, right? That he is he is a self-sacrificing, he has a self-sacrificing love. Steadfast. God is faithful. We're not faithful, but God is. So he says he's a God who practices steadfast love. What else does he practice? Justice. Just, God's justice is perfect. Perfect justice, perfect love, perfect righteousness. So God says, you want to know me, these, these ought to reflect in your life. Perfect love, perfect justice, perfect righteousness. We find those things when we follow him, when we draw near unto the Lord. These are the things they ought to boast in, not all the things they're boasting about. Well, we got plenty of money. We can get ourselves out of trouble. Oh, I'm strong enough. We'll figure it out. I'm smart enough. We'll get it all. God says, man, the thing you need to know more than anything else is me. You need to know my steadfast love. God won't give up. You need to know my justice. God won't let you get away with anything. You need to know my righteousness. God's way is the way of life, always. It's a way that leads to life. So verse 25, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. You get the idea of what they were bragging about? (laughs) Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. All these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in their heart. Part of the sign of their covenant, God said, okay, so you're going to make this covenant with me? And they all said, yeah. Well, the word's the easy part, right? Okay, cool, we'll make a covenant. Yep, I promise. So what was the sign of the covenant? What sign will you give me that you'll be faithful to the promise that you've made? You know, there's another thing we do where that's a part of the ceremony. Right after someone gives their vows. What is the sign that you will give to one another that you'll be faithful to the promises you've made here today? They give a ring, right? The ring is a sign. And so every time I wear that ring and I look at that ring, I remember the promise that I made to my wife, right? That you'll remember the covenant that you've made in this place. What was the sign God gave the children of Israel? They wish it was a ring. Yeah, he gave them circumcision. Man, I'm I'm sure they were like, could we wear a big hat or something? You know, one of the unique things about circumcision and one of the, 
you know, there's, there's probably a lot of things we can talk about, and I should probably not. But one of the unique things about circumcision is nobody sees it. Unless you're in a nudist colony. Nobody knows you're circumcised or not. But you know. Right? And the idea of the sign was, look, nobody else is going to know. You can say whatever you want to say, but you know. And then the Lord would tell them over and over again, look, it's not just the outward sign. Is your heart circumcised? Are you really for me? Are you, are you, are you with me? Are you really with me? Here's what Paul wrote in Romans 2. And this is how we'll end this evening. He says, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, what good is your circumcision? Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. What, it's, what good is a sign to a lie? What good is a pledge to a promise you're going to break? What good is a ring? It's no good if you're going to break the promise, right? What's the point? It's, it's nothing. This is, what God, this is what God is saying through Paul, verse 26. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the law... Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Does God look at a man who's willing to follow him and obey him and walk in him, but it's not circumcised? Will God say, well, that's it, buddy, you're out? He's like, this is a sign of the promise, not the reality of the promise. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code. And remember, not only did they have the written code, God spoke it to them, right? So they heard the sound of God's voice who had the written code and circumcision but break the law, won't keep the covenant. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Circumcision don't mean a thing. Your rituals don't mean a thing. What really matters to God is the fact that the people wouldn't tell the truth. They just lied. They wouldn't mourn over their sin. They just celebrated. And if that's not a description of our world today, I don't know what else is. So God sends prophets so that the people are not without the opportunity to give account. Hey, the Lord is calling his people to repent, to be real, to be honest, to be truthful with him and he will abundantly forgive because he is a god of steadfast love and he has made a way for you to be justified hasn't he we're justified by the blood of jesus christ no that's what the scripture would declare justice is complete in christ he paid what we could not and what about righteousness? I have none of my own. So how do I walk in righteousness with God? He who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice that I might become what? The righteousness of God. Everything we lack, we have in him. Are we refusing to know him? Or are we saying, nope. Blessed is the man who knows and understands the Lord. That he is a God of steadfast love, justice, and righteousness and these things in these things god delights that's what we want to reflect amen won't you stand with me let's pray father god we thank you for this time we can come to your word lord we can study lord we thank you for jeremiah lord and for the
parallels perhaps we can see between Jeremiah and our world today, God. And I pray, Lord, that we might hear the echoes of the prophet Jeremiah when we read scripture and we say, man, God is calling us. And we might go out into the highways and the byways and call our nation to repentance. But ultimately, the ones who ought repent is us. Make us right so that we can be the right kind of example to a world that's rejected God. So that instead of hypocrisy, they can see reality. So that they can look at the hearts of God's people and see what Jesus said they would see. The way that we love one another. The way we care for one another. The way we have become uh, promise keepers, not through our own strength, but because we rely on the power of God working in us. That, That we can measure up to the standard, which is not my neighbor, but is my Savior. So God, we just pray, Lord, that we, your church might awaken, stand tall, In the power of your spirit, be an example that people will follow. Because the Lord said to the nation of Israel, man, when when you are surrendered to me and walking with me, the other nations will flood to you like somebody turn on a light in a dark room. And our world is dark. We, the church, we, we need to be able to fight sometimes we can because we're asleep in the light so God wake us that we might stand with you may we hear your voice calling to us today is a day now is a time and God may you be glorified and magnified by the lives we live out before you and we will give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus name we pray amen my knees again surrendering all surrendering all so find me here Lord as you draw me near desperate for you desperate for you and I surrender drench my soul as mercy and grace unfold, I hunger and thirst. I hunger and thirst. 
with arms stretched wide, I know you hear my 